Good morning. That was exciting. Um, I can tell you're pumped that I'm up here. Don't worry, you get Tom back next week. Uh, I'd like to state for the record before I get going that it is after uh, 10.45, so if I get any, like, you went long, not my fault, you can take that up with other people. Actually, you can talk to me about it. I'm leaving in a couple weeks. Whoa. Uh, So, man, this is wild. Uh, So, it's true. This is my last preaching Sunday. Just so you know, Tom said it before, I'm not gone yet. It's not like I'm going to preach and the truck's out front and we're booking it out of here as soon as I'm done. It's not going to go that way at all. But uh, we are going to be leaving. My dad and I will be heading down to Little Rock, Arkansas on the 9th. And, yes, we are moving to Little Rock, Arkansas uh, yeah, it's going to be, I heard it's warm there. I don't know if that's right or not, but um, Seth, could you fix that hum? Thanks, man. <laughs> it's going to drive me nuts. This is what happens when you put a sound man preaching, not in the booth. But uh, so, there it is. That's better. Thank you. So, we're, we're going to be heading down to Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm going to be in a church planting residency, and the Lord has led my wife and I to uh, move to Boulder once we're done there to plant a church so that's, that's the plan. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we're excited about that. Lots of good things going on. But, um, you know, as, as I was preparing the message for today, I was like, do I talk about church planting? Do I talk about uh, mission? Do I talk about... I, I really had no idea. Because usually what, what, I, what makes it really easy about teaching here at this church is we do what's called expository preaching. We preach usually verse by verse through the Bible. So it's like, oh, this week I get to preach on demons. You don't have a choice. Uh, or or w- whatever the week happens to fall. But this week I got to pick. Tom was kind enough to give me free reign and say, preach on whatever you want. Um, and that's just dangerous in general, usually to tell me to preach on whatever I want. But where we're going to go, I, I, I don't think I expected to go there in, in, in my studying and my prayer. Um, t- time pre- um, getting ready for this message, but I ended up there. So uh, just hang with me. It, it's going to be a little intense, but uh, I, I love you. And, and, and let me preface everything I'm about to say with this. As a pastor, my primary job, I have a lot of jobs. Tom has a lot of jobs. A pastor carries many hats. But their primary job is to make sure that you... Every week and every chance we can give you is to hear the gospel and give you ways to live that out. Make sure you are trained up in the gospel so that you can go forth with it. That's our primary job, okay? And so t- today, I'm, my goal is to reiterate that because ultimately that's all that really matters anyways, if, if we aren't trained up in the gospel, if, if, uh, if me as a pastor is coming up here giving you my opinion on something of how I think this should work out, this, that, that's no good to you. You can go buy a book at any local bookstore and read about that. You don't, you, you don't need pastors for that. What you need pastors for is help in training and righteousness and things like that and, and, and understanding the word. So that's what we're going to go into. Uh, in my study, it led me basically to 1 John chapter 3. That's where I'm going to be primarily this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. And I'm just going to read straight through our, our chunk of scripture this morning. And then we're going to break it down into chunks. And, and I'm going to show you. Here, here's, here's where we're going. I'm going to give you a roadmap. I'm, I'm not, normally not a point guy. Like I'm not like, and don't worry, they don't all rhyme. They all, don't all start with the, first, the same first letter, okay? They're just, they're just five points that we're going to go over. And basically what these five points that I pulled out of this scripture this morning is this. is Listen, if you don't have these, 
If these five points either upset you or you don't like them or they're not really evident in your life at any level, you may not be a believer in Jesus. I hate to say it, but I have to go there. Okay? You may not. Now, now hear me before we dive into them as well on this, is you might hear some of these and go, I really struggle in that area. That's different than not believing it. Okay? Uh, you may hear one of them and go, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling in that area. That's a good place to be. That's why we're preaching. That's why we're talking about it, is so that we can build one another up to deal with those things better, to work on them, to build ourselves more in Jesus into his likeness. Okay? So let's read the scripture and let's get to work because I've got a lot to do in a short amount of time. First John, not John, first John, chapter three, verse eleven. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we have to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Verse 18. Little children... Let us not love the word, love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Meaty text. Lots in there. I, I would encourage you after the sermon to study it more. I'm giving you five things I pulled out of it. You could literally spend a year studying this chunk of scripture. I honestly believe that. Okay? But th- th- when I say I have a list, that doesn't mean this is the end all. This is it. Don't study it anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is a list that God really put on my heart. And so without wasting any more time, the number one thing is just going to blow your mind. I've got it from 1 John 3.16a says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The first thing and the most important thing you as a believer in Jesus Christ must do to be a follower of Jesus is love him. How's your mind? Is it blown, right? I know I probably just shattered your world, but listen to me on this. You must love Jesus. It is him that we are in love with. First and foremost, listen, if we don't get this one right, if we aren't madly in love with Jesus at a level that is kind of scary and a little weird at times, we are going to miss it. The rest of the points I'll share with you are dumb and don't waste your time doing them. 
okay? If you don't love Jesus, you're not a believer. You have to really love him. He is why we do any of this. It is all about him. At the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, in the middle of the day, it's all about Jesus. And it has to be. If it's not, then this is a silly, silly game, isn't it? I mean, think about what we just did in here. I guarantee you, you will not find people in the morning standing, lifting hands, singing to the songs where we repeat the same phrase repeatedly over and over again and things like that and, and sitting in this room with people that we don't really know that well or we know well. This weird thing that's happening, if we're doing this for some reason other than the name of Jesus, that's just too weird for me and I don't really want to be part of it. I mean, in all honesty, it has to be about Jesus. What kind of love am I talking about? Go to Psalm 63. I love David. He was an honest dude. He was a guy that I think uh, a lot of us guys need to get in touch with a little bit about his willingness to cry out, his willingness to beg God. And I was reading this and I was just like, man, I want my heart to be more like this. Psalm 63 verse 1 says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of love where your soul, if you haven't been with Jesus recently, that it cries out, that it's like your mouth, like mine right now, and I don't know where my cup of water went. I lost it again. It, it is crying out for water. You know, it, it's, it's dying. Like, does your soul literally ache for him? And, and maybe, maybe if I put it in this room, because I bet most of us in this room has felt this at some point, uh, and I, I refer to it, I see it a lot because I do a lot of high school ministry, the high school crush where you're willing to do anything really dumb for, um, for, for the person you're attracted to, right? I mean, what, what won't you do for that person when you're attracted to them in, in the beginning phases? When you like, see a person, you're like, man, I want to date them. And if you're like, I've never been there, you're a liar. Um, you, you, you have, like, you're like, I'll do anything. Right? You're like, you want your car washed? I'll wash your car. Okay, you want me to wash your dog? I'll wash that too. What, what do you want? I'll do whatever you want. Especially guys. We get really dumb in this area. But, you, you know, it's, it's actually a really good picture of does that happen more for people than it does for Jesus? Are, are we crying out to Jesus saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. I'm here. I'm, I'm madly, madly in love with you. And, and to a level that should freak people out at sometimes. Right? I, I, I remember um, when I first became a Christian, I was really trying to grasp this more. And I was trying to work it through my head. And, uh, and I'm, I, this might be a surprise. I'm a pretty emotional dude. Um, I cry really easily. I don't know what that's about. Um, I, I've, I've tried to beat it out of myself repeatedly, and it just won't go away. But like, when, when it finally started dawning on me, it, w- it would turn into these times where I'd be laying in bed at night, and I would take my Bible, and like, all I could do was like, hold it. Because if I read another word about Jesus, I would break down and lose it. And I'm not saying that because like how great I am. Like, listen, that doesn't happen every day. But it needs to. It needs to be more of a heart cry that comes from my soul 
out into this world and say, Jesus, where are you? I love you. Just like David. I mean, read through the Psalms. You've got to love the guy, how insane he is. Because one minute he's crying out how much he loves him. One minute he's saying, like, why have you forsaken me? Oh, God, I don't know what's going on. And the next minute, it's like, oh, you're so good. He's, he's a schizophrenic because anybody you'll ever find in the Bible, read him. You'll see that young, crazy kind of love that he had for Jesus. I mean, a, a deep Love that at times doesn't make any sense, right? Isn't he the one that said, I will be even more undignified than this before the Lord because he's dancing naked, right? That's crazy love. Jonathan Edwards said this about our love for Jesus, and I love it. It, it really, he's one of my favorites, and he said this, the true Christian takes delight in Jesus, a delight that is often palpable and contagious, is your love for Jesus palpable? Can you taste it? You, you ever notice how, how, how the Bible uses a lot of words like that? Palpable? It, it, it will go into taste and see that the Lord is good. It, it, is your love for Jesus palpable? Can, can you taste it? Can you feel it? Does it give you cold chills down your spine when you think upon him? And the second part, he said, It's contagious. It's contagious. It's not something where people go, no, that's not what I want. It's a beautiful love. The question I asked myself when I, when I was studying this this week, um, I found it in 1 Peter 1.8. My question was, would, would Peter say this to me? I hope so. I'm not sure. I have to ask him someday. I'll find out. Though you have not seen him, which we, we have not, we have not seen the, the flesh version of Jesus, and that's who he's referring to. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Does that describe me? If Peter sat me down and said, Matt, though you have not seen him, physically walking around, though you haven't actually touched him. Listen, man, you believe. You believe because of what he's done in and through you, what you've seen him do in his church and in his people. And, and, and you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That's the contagious part, right? It's joyful. That is inexpressible and filled with glory. Have you ever tried tell somebody about your faith and you just couldn't do it. And it's not because you weren't prepared. It's not because you didn't go to Awanas and you didn't memorize all the Bible verses. It's because you're trying to explain it to them and you just, words just leave you short. You're just like, I don't know, man. You just have to believe. And, and here, I, I hear you. That is a tough one in today's culture. To go, I just believe I, I, I just do. And, and now, I'm not saying that there's not facts, there's not things we can dig out, but man, at a certain level, it's just, man, that Holy Spirit has done something in you, right? And, and, and you just, it's like, I, I don't know, I hope he comes to you too. Because until I, I, that happens, I don't really know what else to tell you. Right? I, I share it with our youth all the time. The story is insane, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
But yet, that kind of proves how true it is because nobody would make this up. Right? We've said it a million times here. Nobody would make up the ending, him coming out of the sky riding on a white horse. That would not be the ending if you're really trying to convince a lot of people. Okay? Right? If, if, how do you know? Well, he's going to come out of the sky on a horse. And a sword's going to come out of his mouth. His eyes are going to be on fire. And he's going to have a blood-dripped robe, right? You want to join in? <laughs> Listen, we didn't make this up. I'm sure we could have come up with something better. But it's inexpressible. The reason that this one's so important, I'm spending more time on this point than any of the others, is, listen, I, I said it right up front, if you don't get this one right, if you don't love Jesus, nothing else I will share with you should matter until this is dealt with. Nothing else. If you want a thesis for this sermon, if you will, it's this. You're sitting there going, Matt, I, I love Jesus, yes. I, I'm, I'm in love with him. I mean, and I'm sure all of us are sitting there going, yeah, it could be more, right? I mean, if, if you're not in that boat, um, well, I don't really want to talk to you. But if, if, if you're sitting there going, I'm good, then I think you've you got some stuff to work through as we go through this. But if you're sitting there going, yeah, I love him, I need to work on him, we're good, I'm in the same boat, let's be in there together. But, but hear me on this. The thesis for this whole thing is that if you love Jesus, you will be compelled to love the things that he loves. So you're going, okay, I think I love Jesus. How do I tell? How do I know that I love Jesus? I'm telling you, you will be compelled to love the things that he loves most. And so the rest of my points are four things that I think Jesus is really in love with. And these should be markers for you to be able to go, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I love that too. And maybe you're going, oh, I don't know. It doesn't disqualify you from the faith, okay? But it might say, hey, I got some work to do in this area. And maybe for some of us, we, we'll leave here today going, I don't know. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with asking the question that might make you go, I don't know if I believe in him. Because I'll be honest, I think we should have a little bit more fear in our faith than what we actually have. I'm talking about a good kind of fear. Not like an abusive kind. I'm talking about a good kind. The kind where, do, do, do verses like this ever wake you up at night? You know, Many shall say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me for I never knew you. Hear me. I've accepted Christ like 5,000 times in my life, okay? Don't hear me saying I'm unsure of my faith. I, I know that I am saved. I know that the Holy Spirit has, has fallen me. I know that he's moved my heart and changed my attitudes and my affections towards Christ. But those things scare me to death in a good way. It reminds me that he's in control. So I have no problem asking those questions. You should spot Jesus in all these next points because these are the things he's madly in love with. The second one is this. You hate sin. Do you hate sin? And, and the second part to it, there's kind of like 
sub, sub, subline underneath of it. It says, do you hate sin? And do you regularly have victory over it? Do you hate sin? I mean, like, I'm talking like, listen, the Bible doesn't use the word hate very much, but it does. And it's usually towards Satan, demons, and sin. There is a deep embedded reaction in the believer of Jesus that hates sin. And listen, I, hear me on this. It is a tough one because I know, like I'll, I'll use, I know men who, who have areas of their life because um, the, their affection doesn't lie primarily for their wife. It, it, at times it lies on a computer screen or in a magazine. And listen, they're believers because they literally hate that. I mean, they struggle with it. Hear me, right? They struggle with that. But deep down inside, when they get done with that or whatever happens or that temptation that leads them there, it is a deep-seated hate for that and a deep-seated repentance that follows saying, I'm sorry, but you need to have that. If, if you're the kind of person who will go along and willingly sin, there's a difference between sinning out of accident or temptation where you fall, those kinds of things. Um, th- there's a difference between that and going, I am intentionally seeking this out to do this regularly. You must hate that desire in your, in your soul. John Piper puts it this way. He says, you must regularly wage war against that. It is not a game. You must be at a level where you are willing to knock down, drag out, fight this. Because every person in here has at least one major one. And if you just have one, you're probably the best person I've ever known. I got this from 1 John 3.12 in our text. Can you bring that up, Brian? We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. The Bible clearly says you were not to be like Cain. We're set apart. 1 Peter 2.24. This is why we hate sin. He himself, who's himself, it's Jesus, right? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, which is the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. If you are madly in love with Jesus, right? That's where we started out. If you're madly in love with Jesus, the natural response is anything that hurts him, you will hate. Anything that is contrary to him, you will despise. Anything that goes against Jesus and his word, you will remove yourself from. Right? Because he bore it. And I'm I'm starting to grasp this a little bit. Not completely. Like I'm starting to get it more and more every day now that I have a child. Whereas um, I understand this where if, if somebody were to hurt my daughter... I would want to hurt them. I'll be honest. Touch my kid, I'll drop kick you. That's just how it's going to go, right? Dads, anywhere else? Like, you can say amen to that. It's okay, right? Right? It's a good thing, but it needs to be that deep embedded, I will wage war against anything that goes against my Savior. 
Because get this, um, I'm called to love him more than my daughter. I, I don't get that one yet. I'm trying. But I'm called to love him more. And if I will have that reaction to anything that will go against my daughter, then therefore my reaction to anything that should go against my Savior should be pure disgust and hatred towards that sin. Because guess what? That day on the cross, when he hung there, he literally, literally bore, which means carried your sins, my sins, in his body so that we could be forgiven. That should breed a couple things, right? It should breed thankfulness, but it should breed a discontent for sin, saying, I don't like things that hurt my Savior. It should break our hearts in the fact that as he hung there, he had in his mind your sin and my sin. And that should break our hearts and stir our affections even more for him. See, because when you start understanding the gospel this way, man, he is good, isn't he? He is so good. I mean, this kind of love, right? It's just mind-blowing. Romans 6.6. 6. We do not know what we know. I'm sorry. We know that our old self was crucified with him, right? That's what I just talked about. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Your sin nature is dead. We willingly allow it to come back to life. Do you understand that Jesus killed it? We're battling against a beaten foe. And we let it win. It's kind of strange. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We take this very seriously in the church of Jesus. In Jesus' church, we take this with the utmost seriousness, what he did for us on the cross. That he has set you free, man. Did you know that? Did you know that? Seriously, you have been freed from it. That sin that you regularly struggle with that you can't beat, yes, you can. And not because you can beat it, but because of what he did on the cross. It's been beaten for you. I beg you, I beg you, and I beg myself daily, don't let those sins win. Don't let Satan win. Don't let demons win. They have no power over you if you love Jesus because he bore your sins in his body on the cross once and for all. It's done forever. My third point is this. You should love God's word. Are you madly in love with God's word? And I can see some of us right now going, man, I do not read my Bible every day. It's not necessarily what I'm talking about. That's a great discipline and you need to work on that. Being in the word daily is a good thing. And we all need to be there. But I'm talking about a deep affection for the word. I'm not talking about surface level things. I'm not talking about things that we can do. I'm not talking about reading calendars. I'm talking about, does your heart ache for his word? Do you ever, when it gets bad, and and, and trust me, this one's convicting on me. Here, I'll, I'll lay it out. 
I had a bad day. Do I go home and have a beer and watch TV because I had a bad day? Or do I open my Bible and study it because I had a bad day? And Jesus has something to say about that. Do I ignore those things and ignore his word and just, you know, short memory, right? Or does his word encourage me to embrace those things and deal with them? I, 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 this is hypothetical. I'm, I'm not. My wife and I are very good right now. I, I'm, my wife and I are having struggles. Do I find it here? Or do I go to one of my dumb buddies who wants to tell me how great it is to be single? I'm being dead serious on that one. Both sexes there. I've seen that happen. I've seen it break up marriages in this church. Where do you run? Does your heart long for the word? Or does it long for somebody else's opinion? I struggle with this one. Instead of running to this, I might run to somebody else's sermon that I really like. And that's wrong. I got this from 1 John 3.24 in our scripture. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Okay, you might go on. What, how, what does that have to do with the word? Who, imbi- who, who abides in you? The Holy Spirit, right? I want to read this to you. Who is the word? It's Jesus. John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word is Jesus. You love this because it is Jesus. You have to understand, the word of God, and and I'm not trying to get too heady for you, but follow me on this. The word of God is Jesus made flesh. Incarnate is what we call it, right? It is him walking, breathing, speaking among us. When he came as a man, God left his throne in heaven and came as man. When the word became flesh. We love the word of God because we love Jesus. Again, if you claim to love Jesus, you should love the things that he loves. And you should love what he is, right? Hebrews 4.12, let's go there. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This word, though it may be written in your book, right? The book isn't necessarily what's sacred. It's the words in it. Did you know that it's still living? That it's still active? That this is really sharp? That this is really powerful? Did you know that the only offensive weapon that the whole entire Bible gives us is itself the Bible? Read Ephesians 6 sometimes. I don't, I don't have time to go there. 
But your offensive tool against what we talked about in the previous point, sin, is the word of God. And the word of God is Jesus who became flesh, right? That is our tool. That is what we use. We love the word of God. 1 John 2.14. Young men, because you are strong. I, I love this one. I read this one to my high school guys all the time. Young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It is because of Jesus that you can overcome anything. You need to know that, that you can literally overcome everything that is evil because of Jesus, because he is the word of God and because he does not like sin and because he wants to end it once and for all. I mean, come on, guys especially, I mean, like, I'm, and girls too, but I'm, that should just, man, doesn't that just fire you up in your soul? Like, young men, you are strong because of Jesus. Men, you can lead your families well because of Jesus. Young ladies, you do not have to give in to a mediocre man because of Jesus. You are strong enough because he is good enough and because God is your father, right? You don't have to settle for less with Jesus. Right? He is what overcomes all. And it's so great that he decided to come and save us. Just so you know, um, we, we say that term a lot, he came to save us, but I, I want to be clear on one thing. Why did he come to save us? Yeah, I mean, so, so we don't go to hell, okay. Do you know the ultimate reason he came to save us was to bring more glory to himself? That when you defeat sin... That when you love him, it brings glory to him. And that's the ultimate goal because he is what is good. There is nothing good outside of Jesus. So I'd throw that in there. That was for free. Did you know that all of it, this whole book, it's all about Jesus? Do you know that every single page in here is about Jesus? I tried to put it together. I'll be quite honest. Um, Pastor Mark Triscoll did a much better job. And I would like to read you something that he wrote out of um, this book called Doctrine. It says this. Unlike the first Adam, Jesus Christ is the last Adam who passed his test in a garden. Isn't that interesting? That Where did Jesus pass his test? In a garden where he could have given up. Where did Adam not pass? In a garden. And in doing so, imputed his righteousness to us to overcome the sin imputed to us through the sin of the first Adam. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who although he was innocent, was slain, and whose blood cries out. When Abraham left his house and home, he was doing the same thing that Jesus would do when he left heaven. When Isaac carried his own wood and laid down his life to be sacrificed at the hand of his father Abraham, he was showing us what Jesus would later do. Have you ever thought of it that way? That it's actually a picture to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Jesus is the greater Jacob who wrestled with God in Gethsemane. And though wounded and limping, walked away from his grave blessed. Jesus is the greater Joseph who serves at the right hand of God, the king, and extends forgiveness and provisions to those of us who have betrayed him. 
and uses his power to save us in loving reconciliation, just as Joseph let his brothers go. It was just a picture of what Jesus was going to do, a much smaller picture. Jesus is, the great, is greater than Moses in that he stands as a mediator between God and us, bringing us the new covenant. Like Job, innocent, Jesus suffered and was tormented by the devil so that God might be glorified. While his dumb friends were no help or encouragement, Jesus is a greater, Jesus is a greater king than David. He has slain our giants of Satan, sin, and death, although in the eyes of the world he was certain to face a crushing defeat at their hands. Jesus is, the great, is greater than Jonah, and that he spent three days in the grave, not just in a fish. I had never thought of it that way. To save the multitude even greater than Nineveh. When Boaz redeemed Ruth and brought her and her despised people in community with God's people, he was showing what Jesus would do to redeem his bride, the church, from all the nations of the earth. When Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem, he was doing something similar to Jesus, who is building for us a new Jerusalem as our eternal home. When Hosea married, this is my favorite one, when Hosea married an unfaithful, whoring wife that he continued to pursue in love, he was showing us the heart of Jesus who does the same for his unfaithful bride, the church. Did you know that you love this because it's all about Jesus? Every page of it is about Jesus. You will be compelled to love his word if you love Jesus. Fourth one. You love truth. Do you love truth? I got this one from 1 John 3.19. Let's read it. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before him. We are of the truth and we should love the truth. I put a subtitle. What, 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 what am I talking about specifically or in truth? I'm talking about you will be compelled to love sound doctrine. Good teaching. You will be compelled to not change his word around to suit what you want it to say. You will love Truth. You won't view truth as oppressive, yet you will view it as something that is bringing life. Right? Trust me, in this church, we could, we, we haven't, I just don't think that many people know, but we could take a lot of flack for things that we hold to be true. That we believe that all 66 books of the Bible are God's word. We will not compromise on those. You know, I am uh, I'm moving on from this place, but you know what? Um, I'm very confident in this place because one thing I, I, know, I know what Tom will do and I know what he won't do. And I know that he is a man of prayer and I know that he loves God's word and I know that he will not compromise those truths. I know it. I know that the elders here at this church will not let go of those that every single one of you could leave this church. We don't want that to happen. Hear me on that, okay? But if it meant holding true to God's word, they would do it. You should be grateful that you have a church like that. I'll be honest. That you know that they will never stray from it. I mean, come on. They might, we, we might get it wrong. 
at times. We might do dumb things. Okay, I've been here for about eight years now, almost eight years. I've done my fair share of dumb things. But I know that the truth is loved here. John 14, 6. Why do you love the truth? Because it's Jesus. Right? How many of us have this one memorized? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You need to know that Jesus is the truth. He is not a form of the truth. He is not a version of the truth. He is the truth. There is, and this might mess with some of your psyches, there is no other truth outside of Jesus. Okay, I don't care what the book said or what the man on TV said or what the person said will make you feel better. Outside of Jesus, there is no truth. It is all a lie outside of him. And I know that sounds dark and depressing, but it really isn't. Because you have a greater Savior. He is the truth. And, like, and right, when we submit to this truth, when we come underneath it, when the Holy Spirit fills us and drops in and moves us, right? It, 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 it's not words of, oh man, now I have to do this. It's, I can taste and see and know that the Lord is good. That's what his truth brings about. How many of us in here can really honestly testify that the times that we thought our truth was greater than God's truth, how did that work out for you? Right? If you go, no, 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 I got this one. I'm in control here. I've got this one figured out. Um, I've been really studying this too, God, just to let you know. We might laugh, but that's the conversation we have. Well, Jesus, Oprah told me so. Sorry, I had to do it. It's my last Sunday. <laughs> I have to make fun of Oprah at some point. Um, he is the truth. Now listen, I can't say that enough. And, and you know, it, it, it breaks down to that inexpressible stuff that we talked about before. I can plead with you. But until you're willing to submit to that, I don't know what else to tell you. Some of you, I'm going to guess that you're in a place where maybe submitting to this for the first time might be a really good idea. He is the truth. A good friend of mine here in Gunnison, we, we disagree on about a million things. But literally, like about a million things. Um, but we are good friends, and, and, and he's a brother with me. Um, Neil Cohen said this to me at one point. He said this. He said, listen, there is no path of truth that I found to make it to the top of this mountain. How many of us have heard that? I'm just finding my path to get to the top. He said, there is no path I ever found. Jesus came down off the mountain and picked me up and carried me. I never had the strength to walk anywhere. He is it. There is no path. Stop 
looking. He's standing right there. He's not requiring you to walk somewhere. He's not requiring you to go on some pilgrimage. He's not requiring for you to clean up, make yourself look better, stop doing all the things that the church people won't like. He's not calling you to do any of that. He's calling you to love him. And that's it. That's it. So, so remove that from your psyche now. Literally, in the name of Jesus, get rid of that junk. Because it's wrong. Because he is the truth. You doubt me? Man, I, I, love, I, I love some of the Old Testament stuff, man. You, you, um, right now, my boys' small group, we're going through uh, um, battles in the Bible where lots of people die. That's pretty much what we're studying. No real reason other than we think it's entertaining. Um, and Jesus is always victorious somehow in them. I love stories like that. Right, Preston? Okay. You doubt me, what I'm saying? Isaiah 45, 19 says this. I love it. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Listen, he's not playing a game. He speaks the truth. He declares what is right. If anybody tells you that they can tell you the path, the right way, and it is not rooted in Jesus, they're a liar. And they're wrong. I'm sorry if that hurts you, but I would not be a good pastor if I did not say that. I I mean, I love it. I don't know if that excites you. It's just like, there's certain times, you know, in the Bible, it's like, oh, let's interpret this and see what this says and, and try to figure this out. There's certain times when he's like, I'm right, you're wrong, just do what I tell you to do. This is one of them. He knows what is right. It's the, I was joking around with somebody the other day when I read this. I said, it's the proverbial, why do I have to do this, mom? Because I said so. That's it. And what I say is right. Right? The final one is this. We'll get you out of here shortly. You love Jesus' church. Do you love his church? This one probably fires up my heart secondly to the first one. Obviously, I want to start more churches, so it's a given, right? But what you need to know is this, is that Jesus loves his church. And if you claim to love him, you will be compelled to love his church as well. Ephesians 5.23, this talks about marriage. It's a great picture because we compare marriage and the church side by side a lot in the Bible. Here's what it says. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ, who? Christ, we're talking about Jesus here, is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Jesus is the head of the church. Do you know who your lead pastor is? It's Jesus. Tom and the elders submit to the lead pastor, Jesus. Listen, Hear me, I'm repeating myself, and I know, I'm not dumb. Jesus is the head of the church, 
How much does he love it? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He is willing to die for his church. All of its jacked upness, I think I just made that word up, um, all of its, uh, how weird it is and how goofy some of its people are. I'll just be honest, I can shoot straight with you. Some of us in here are just weird, right? And you might think I'm weird and I probably think you're weird. That's fine. But it's the body of Christ. And it's so crazy. It goes back to the thing. Listen, we couldn't make this junk up. You have people from every different walks of life sitting in here right now. And you're his church, and you should love his church, which means you should be loving the people sitting in here. And I'll be honest, and I will confess this to you right now. The number one people I struggle with is church people. I I don't know why that is. But in all honesty, I can love those far from God who are doing some really messed up things. And I can, and I struggle with self-righteous church people. I mean, I, like, I seriously just want to throw down at times. I mean, some of you have been around long enough to witness this actually play out in business meetings, right? Like, I mean, it's happened. And I need to repent of that. Because guess what? Jesus loves those people as well. In this church, I know, like, listen, there's there's a group that I'm leaving out here big time, which is the lost. And don't think I'm ignoring them at all. The reason I'm not going over that is because, guess what? I know every single week in this church that will be addressed. I guarantee it, and it needs to be. But, as Tom preached a few weeks ago, we need to love the older brother in the story of the prodigal son who's standing outside of the party and who won't come in. We need to love those people, and I struggle with that, and I repent of that before this whole church and before I go anywhere. Right? He loves his church. Let me put it this way for you. He loves his church so much that he, he died for it. Do you know that his church is his plan? Yeah, it's using his people. And when we talk about church, everybody, you know, there's, there's so many definitions of this stuff out there right now. I, I just want to be really clear what a church is. I bet I could take a poll in here. Most of us probably couldn't really tell you exactly what a church is. A church, what we believe here at Bethany is this, is that the word is rightly taught and the sacraments are observed, which basically means we do baptism and we do communion. And the third one is that we fellowship with one another that we love one another, that we come together, and that we have an outlook into the community that wants to reach the lost. That's what a church is. Anything outside of that is just add-ons. And if it doesn't have those things, well, it's not a church. If the word's not rightly taught, you're not going to church. Right? I think Mark Driscoll put it the best. It, church is not two guys getting, getting together at a bar and having a beer, and one, one person sneezes and another person says, bless you. That's not church. Right? The reason I think this fires me up so much is, oh, I want to say this right. There's no, I, I bet there's no other place in society where week to week there's a group of people that sit around and try to plan how to make your life better in Christ. And yet, 
and I'm, I'm just getting real with you here, church, on a level. Just, this is the part where, yeah, I can say this because I'm leaving. Um, that, that Tom has to get up here and beg you to take it seriously is absurd. I, I don't get it. Listen, I, I'll be honest. I don't understand why we have to beg you to look at the back of the bulletin and see that this church is struggling financially, and yet I've done the math and added it up, and it doesn't make sense. Do you think that this church is trying to rip you off? I don't think it is. This church has trimmed the fat from its budget in every area it can. If we take any more off, people are going to start going. Right? We got a guy with a couple kids who's scraping to get by. I know for a fact there's people probably sitting in here going, man, I'm really struggling, and I get it, and I hear you. But Josh Pierce stood up here before and shared, and I did not plan on sharing this whole giving thing, but I'm just going with it. Um, He's struggling. He's faithful. If you love the church, you won't go, hmm, maybe I'll help it out. It, It blows my mind that we have to beg people to serve. Listen, I can tell you if I put a sign-up sheet out there, I've been here for three years now. I know who's going to sign up to help. But the same eight people every time. And some of you have been serving for years, and God bless you and thank you. Like I I think of Dan. How long have you been helping out with Awanas? Since it started. When when was that? How long ago was that? 18-something, Tom said? Okay. That was Tom, not me. 20 years ago or something? 12 years ago? Okay. Listen, if you love Jesus, you'll be compelled to love his church. You'll be compelled to love the things that the church is doing. You will be compelled to take part in it. You will be compelled to give gifts generously so this place can do things. And not just so you can give them and walk away. We want you to be the one administering it. Listen, if you love Jesus and then you in turn love his church, you won't take the summer off. Right? My mind, just like, I don't even get that. I love Jesus, but I'm going to take a break. I have heard teaching saying, you don't need to go to church. It's just you and Jesus, and that's just flat wrong. There is no context for your faith in the Bible outside of a community of believers. There is no context for it. It doesn't exist. That is wrong, false teaching. If you think you need to take a break from Christianity, that is like the equivalent for me coming home to my wife and my newborn saying, Honey, Sophia, hey, I need a break. You guys are really wearing me out, and I just need to find myself a little bit. So I'm going to go hang out and ride dirt bikes for a while. Or buy a camper and peace out every single weekend that I can. Take vacation, people. I'm not saying don't take vacation. I'm saying get your priorities right. And, and I know I'm going kind of angry right now because I am. Um, those of you with children, don't you dare preach a false gospel to them in this. Don't you dare sit there and tell them, you need to study your Bible. You need to go to youth group. 
You need to be involved in this, yet your life shows no proof of it. You are doing more damage to your child than what any youth pastor that they bring in this place can do and fix. And I love you enough to say that. Husbands, bring your families to church. Not talking to the wives. Men, bring women to church. Not so you can get a date. That might happen. That's a good thing. We're we're fans of that. Bring people to church. This thing hinges on you. Being obedient to Jesus and what he's doing. Men, lead well in this area. Churches of utmost importance. You need to be here. You need to have good leadership that you submit to. And that's a tough one for some of us. I, we have Bethany 101 next week. And you can go there and you can hear all about what we do. And how we do it and why we do it. And there you'll hear this is that our ultimate goal in this is deep accountability. John Wesley, really smart dude, wrote a lot of books, um, post-Reformation, time period, one of my favorite writers. They, they invented small groups, basically, that we know of. And do you know how real their experience with one another was? I, raise your hand if your small group does this one, Okay. They'd show up, and they had three questions. The first question was, how many times and what sins have you committed this week? Number two, where has Jesus had victory over those areas this week? Number three is, what temptations may have been sins that you're not sure of that might have been sins? That's deep accountability, But I'll be honest, part of me screams for that. And part of me screams to run away from that. But it's church. It's messed up people serving a very beautiful God. Pretty much done. So what do you do with this? What do you do with these five points? Well, if you're somewhere in the middle, if you're going, I don't know. I think there's two things you can do today. Like today. And I encourage you, don't, don't leave here without doing them. Number one is repent. Repentance is just turning around saying, I'm sorry, God. That's what we're talking about. Saying, I need to love you more. I need to love your church more. I need to... I need to love your truth. I need to love your word. I've been caught up in so many ideas out there that maybe are different and contrary from your word, from your truth, and I'm sorry. I'm coming back to you. That's repentance. And the second thing you can do is rejoice. You can literally say, like, hallelujah, what a savior. Right? You can drop to your knees and go, you are so stinking good to me that it doesn't even make sense. 
It doesn't match up. You're so good to me, Lord. Why have you blessed me like this? You need to rejoice in that. You need to be excited in that. You need to love in that. You need to be at peace in that. That He's rejoicing with you in that. You know what the kicker is about this thing? Is not only does he love all these things and that we are called to love him, is that he sets the ultimate example for love. He sets the bar so high that none of us in here could ever say, I'm done. 1 John 4.10 For this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we ever even loved him. And yet his love for you is so deep and so great. And what that big word propitiation means is that he absorbed, he took in the wrath of God that was set aside for you and your sins and bore them in his own body. He has freed us. He is everything we want to be. He is our great example. He is our God. We are called to worship him. So I'm going to pray to wrap this up. And what I'd like to do during this time is, you know, I'm I'm not going to be naive on it, but some of us might have just realized that maybe we think we've been Christians our whole lives or for a time and we just realized we're really not. I would ask you to honestly say, Jesus, I do love you. Trust me, the other things will fall into place. Don't worry so much about the other stuff. Love them first. And some of us need to come back. We need to remove some things maybe. Get some good accountability, whatever that looks like. So I'm going to pray, and uh, what I'd like to do is, when I'm done praying, Ryan's going to play, and Tom will be up here, I'll be up here, Bistro will be up here, um, Alita, if you could be up here, uh, and anybody else, any of the elders or trustees, if you want to be up here to pray with people. Um, listen, uh, you know, not all of us are that person that's going to get up out of their chair and walk forward and get prayer, but I have a feeling that every single one of us in here probably should. even if it's just alone for a minute. So here's my charge to you, church, is, is this is my last sermon. Love Jesus. That's it. Let's pray.